Well, Merry Christmas again, everyone. It's great that you're choosing to spend part of your Christmas here with us at Kettlebrook. My name is Kara, and I'm one of the leaders here. And we are going to start right away by reading the Christmas story. Um, if you want, if you can find a brown Bible, there's a lot of you here, and you want to follow along, we'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and that's on page 723. Otherwise, we will have the words on our screen. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Then if we go to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, for many of us, this story is an old and familiar story, one we've heard all of our lives. And for some of us, this might be something new or something that you vaguely heard about, some baby in a manger, but you don't really know uh, much more than that. For all of us, in either case, this story has much more meaning if we remember the context that it's set in. If we sort of look up from this moment and say, wait a minute, where are we again in the story? How does this fit in the whole story? Well, Mary and Joseph were Jewish. They were Israelites. And almost the entire Old Testament chronicles the history of Israel. Way back near the start of the Bible, God called out one man, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. And he said, I'm going to make a nation from you. That's Israel. I'm going to bless you and give you a vast land. I will destroy your enemies, and all nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And if you follow my good guidelines for living, Israel, you will have peace. Things will go well for you. And throughout their long history, Israel sometimes got it right, but very often they got it wrong. Very often they did not trust God to care for them. They didn't do what he told them to do. They didn't follow his ways. They set him aside 
and they worshipped other gods. And after years and years and years of second chances, God finally did what every good father does. He let them live with the consequences of their actions. They lost their kingdom. They lost their land. They were carried off into exile, oppressed and ruled over by others. And God, who had spoken to them and showed himself to them throughout their whole history, became silent for 400 years. 400 years. 400 years worth of generations of Hebrew parents telling their children God had rescued them in the past. He had provided for them. He did promise that a Savior would come one day. 400 years. That's a long time to wait. And I have to wonder if maybe their hope began to fade over those 400 years. And then one day, God broke through the silence with the angel Gabriel. And Mary, after a little convincing, understood what was happening. She understood that the promised one was going to come through her. She realized all the promises are true. God is coming to rescue us. His plans and purposes have not changed. All these years of silence, all these years of oppression, all the things God promised them were coming to pass. God had not forgotten them. And a little further in Luke, we see Mary burst into a song, praising God, and she finishes by saying, He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Our God, she says, has remembered his promises, and hope roars to life. Hope roars to life. That is where we are at in our story today. We find Mary and Joseph full of hope. Hope. It's a word we as Americans use a lot. Generally, we are hopeful people. We like this word. We say things like, I hope the weather will be good tomorrow. I hope that I get that promotion at work. I hope the Packers win, which they did. I really hope he changes his mind and makes better decisions. I'm putting all my hope in this treatment. Hope. But what exactly is hope? How would you define hope? How do we understand it? Well, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary most simply defines it as this. To want something to happen or be true. To want something to happen or be true. Another, much more wordy way of defining hope is an optimistic state of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life. That's hope. And we find Mary and Joseph full of hope. Now, if we think about it, if hope can most simply be described as wanting something to happen or be true, as an optimistic state of mind based on the expectations of positive outcomes regarding the circumstances in our lives, how could they be full of hope? I mean, have you ever stopped to think about the circumstances they were in? Were their circumstances worthy of their hope? Were they? 
Mary and Joseph, a young couple engaged to be married. And then Mary, out of the blue, turns up pregnant. And Joseph knows the baby is not his. In those days, if a woman was found to be pregnant outside of marriage, the consequence could have been stoning. And it took a visit from an angel to convince young, devastated Joseph that the pregnancy was from the Holy Spirit and not another man. Joseph believes the angel and takes Mary home as his wife. Now, I would imagine this is not how either of them planned for this engagement to go. I mean, how do they explain this to their community, to their parents? This would have been a shocking disappointment for everyone around them. For a woman to become pregnant before marriage in that day was a huge, huge shame. And if that wasn't bad enough, a census is declared Living under the thumb of Rome, they had no choice but to conform. Remember, Israel is an occupied state. And Caesar Augustus wants a census. And what Caesar wants, Caesar gets. Now, we have a census coming up in 2020. Some of you might not even know that because it's no big deal for us. We get counted on the concept of usual residence, meaning you're counted in the residence where you usually sleep. It's no big deal. But for Rome to declare a census meant that each of them had to be registered in the town where their family was from. So for this young man and his very pregnant wife, that meant walking 80 miles from Galilee to Bethlehem. In our context, that would look like walking from West Bend to beyond Appleton, through mountains, through a desert, no quick trip anywhere to make matters worse once they arrive to bethlehem exhausted there is nowhere for them to stay and then mary goes into labor alone with her young husband in a strange place 80 miles from home without her mom my guess is that the circumstances in their life at this moment were not a cause of mary and joseph having an optimistic state of mind based on positive outcomes regarding their circumstances. I don't think their circumstances were very worthy of their hope. So what do we do when circumstances are not worthy of our hope? How long can we be hopeful when things don't turn out? Most of us would probably admit that our hope falls apart when circumstances aren't what we want them to be. When we don't get the job we wanted, when the sickness gets worse, when our family is arguing at Christmas dinner again, our hope falls apart. And so it seems to me that our definition of hope fails us because having an optimistic state of mind because we expect a positive outcome of our circumstances is a very flimsy kind of hope. What good is hope? that is anchored to circumstances that can change outside of our control. Honestly, I don't like that kind of hope. Maybe a part of you feels like that. Maybe you've recognized yourself. Maybe you are feeling the impacts today of how fleeting hope can be. What is the point of having hope when what we hope for can evaporate before our eyes? What happens when events don't turn out for the best? Why hope at all? And how did Mary and Joseph remain hopeful? 
Well, I have good news for us today. Our definition and our dictionaries did not fail us. If we read a little further in Merriam-Webster, we will find a treasure. Now, I know you did not come here today for a language lesson, but if you'll bear with me a little longer, we are almost there. The second definition of hope, which is listed as the archaic definition, meaning it was commonly used in earlier times, but it's rare in present-day usage. The second definition of hope, the archaic definition of hope, that actually gives us a clue to Mary and Joseph's hope, the archaic definition of hope is this, an assured reliance on the character, the ability, the strength, or truth of something or someone. An assured reliance on the character, the ability, the strength, or truth of something or someone. Hope. Mary and Joseph had hope because their hope was not anchored in their circumstances, which were wild and changing, but rather it was anchored to the character, the ability, the strength, and the truth of someone who never changes. Their hope was anchored in the unchanging purposes and promises of an unchanging God. Though their circumstances were very far from ideal, they knew God had not changed. That his promises were true and his purposes were marching forward. Now we don't know where Mary and Joseph were at with their confidence of God when the angel appeared to each of them. We do know that the angel said that Mary found favor with God. And the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. So we can perhaps assume by these words and by the fact that they were the ones chosen for this crazy task that even though there had been 400 years of silence, even though their circumstances were bad, that their hope didn't waver because it was firmly anchored in the one who never changes. So today on the eve of Christmas, I have a question for you. Where are you anchoring your hope? Is it in your spouse, your job, your bank account, your health, your looks, your likes on social media, students, is it in your grades, your GPA, your athletic abilities? Are you anchoring your hope in something that is worthy of it? Because even though you will most likely not find yourselves trudging 80 miles today to register in your hometown, if your hope is resting on the circumstances of your life, it is on shaky ground because I can guarantee you those circumstances are going to change. But there is one who never changes. There is one whose plans and purposes in this world are immovable. And perhaps it is time to unhook your anchor from the circumstances that can change the ones in your life and sink it into the one who proved he is worthy of our hope on this night all those years ago. Merry Christmas, everyone.
Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Mike, and more often than not these days, I'm introduced around here as Kara's husband. All right. It's very good to be back with you all. Are you guys loving this weather? How many of you, how many of you want snow for Christmas? Okay. All right. How many of you are, are in the other camp with me? There you go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I went for a run this morning on the, on the Ice Age Trail and, and, uh, and I, I, I run down the trail and this half naked man with bare chested and his running, running shorts and running shoes comes for me and, you know, just crazy. I, I won't say who it is, but Evan DeFore, your secret is safe with me. You know? So anyways, we're talking today about hope, right? Kara just got done talking about that hope is more than an optimistic state of mind based on our circumstances. Because frankly, our circumstances, much like those for Joseph and Mary, are going to disappoint us at times. They're going to be less than ideal. Okay? But there's that other definition of hope that she alluded to, and that is to want something to happen or to be true. To want something to happen or to be true. But this also falls well short of the idea of biblical hope. Okay? Not just, I don't know about you, but does just, just wanting something to happen or to be true, does that work for you? Yeah? How does that, how does that work out for you? You know? I don't know how that, I know how that works out for me sometimes. To, to kind of to make my point, how many of you remember where you were on January 20th, 2008? Anyone remember where you were? You're like, Mike, that was, that was more than 10 years ago. Like, how, how are we supposed to remember where we were on January 20th, 2008? Let me see if I can jog your memory for you. On January 20th, 2008, the Packers hosted the Giants at Lambeau Field for the NFC Championship game, playing for the right to play the undefeated Patriots in Super Bowl 42. Jogging any, many, any memories there at all? So uh, when the two teams took the field that Sunday, nobody knew that that was going to be Favre's last game as a Packer. What they did know is that they were the number two seed, you know, and to going into the game, that they had a home field advantage, that they were supposed to be playing the much more anticipated uh, Dallas Cowboys, but instead they were playing a Giants, an inferior team, and they were highly favored to win the game. In fact, all the Packers thought this too. Colin Jenkins, who was the Packers defensive end at that, and said, we're the number two seed and we got to host the championship game. I was thinking, we are going to the Super Bowl. Ryan Grant, Packers running back, said, everyone thought that we were going to be playing in the Super Bowl. And oh yeah, it was uh, minus one that day, minus 23 with wind chill. That is the fine kind of favorite weather for Packers to play in, and that was kind of the stuff that Favre did well. And so everyone thought that this was going to be the, the game. Hope, hope was high, and the Packers were up. Packers were up at the uh, at halftime, right? They're up ten, 10 to six. But by the end of the game, we know that it was a tie game. But back then, what happened in a tie game? You had a coin toss. And whoever won the coin toss got the ball, and it was the first team to score wins. Okay, those were, those were the rules back then. And, and the Packers won the coin toss, so they were like, yes, all right, hey, we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game, you know. And they're going down, going down, they're driving down, and Brett Favre throws that last throw. 
as a Packer, right? And it's intercepted. And we all know at the end of the game, the Giants go on to win the game with a field goal. And so I'm sorry, sorry to bring up such painful memories sorry, on, on Christmas Eve, okay? Some of you finally coaxed your father-in-law to come to Kettleburg Church. And you sitting there going, I'm never coming to this stupid church again. This is stupid church. We talk about stupid things here at this stupid church. No, no, no. I, I just want to talk, talk, you know, this, prove my point. Sometimes we can wish and we can want something to happen so bad that our hope, but that, that always doesn't always help, does it? Just wishful thinking. We need something more than wishful thinking to get us through the inevitable difficulties and uncertainties that are going to come our way in life. Thankfully, this is not the kind of hope that Mary and Joseph were experiencing at this time in Bethlehem. Their hope in the baby that Mary just gave birth to was much more concrete, much more profound, much more robust than just simple wishful thinking. For starters, in the verses that Kara just read, that the, the baby that was in front of them in the manger was prophesied, foretold by an angel just a little over, over nine months previously. And what the angel told Mary, it was just some amazing things. Maybe you can put some of those up there. He will be great and called the son of the most high. Okay. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And, and also, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Let's just leave those up there for a while. Okay. This is, this is what is said. This is the prophetic statement that is said about this child. Okay. Now, because Mary and Joseph are good Jewish people, they are acutely aware that all these things that are said are nuanced versions of prophetic, prophetic utterances that have been given in the Old Testament. Now, because we have little ones in, in the service today and because you all want to get going and, and do whatever it is you do on Christmas Eve, we're not going to go into every single one of those. But I could give you the scripture references for each and every one of these. And the message that the angel gives to Mary and Joseph is that God is now on the move to fulfill all those promises that he had been given, giving for hundreds and hundreds of years. Okay, and, and these were ancient, ancient prophetic pro- references that the angel was alluding to. Prophecies that generations of Jews had placed their hope in. And now, 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 God was on the move to fulfill these promises. Promises of a king and of a kingdom that will never end. Years later, years later, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about this, about Jesus. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. For no matter how many promises that God may have made in the Old Testament, he is fulfilling them all in the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' birth into our world was really just the first in a series of dominoes that were going to fall that would lead up to what God has been about since the very beginning of time. And that is the restoration of the world back to himself and redemption of all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues back to, him, back to himself. And setting up a king and a kingdom that was never going to end. And, and this birth of this baby in, into, the, into our world was just the first domino. 
Because the birth of Jesus inevitably leads to his life, where he beautifully shows us what it looks like to live in that kingdom that's going to come. And his life leads to his sacrificial death, which is the ultimate payment for our greatest problem, which is our sin nature. And his death leads to his victorious resurrection from the grave where he proves finally, finally and ultimately that he always was who he said he was, the son of God. And his resurrection ultimately will lead to his glorious return where he sets up his kingdom that will never, ever end. That's the set of dominoes that, be, that begins his humble birth leading to his beautiful life, leading to his sacrificial death, leading to his victorious resurrection, leading to his glorious return. But it all starts here with his humble birth. And it's the message that God is in the process of fulfilling his promises. And so the question that we need to ask all of you this morning is what are you basing your hope on? Or to put it another, another way, is, is what you are hoping in worthy of your hope? If you're simply hoping that tomorrow will be better than today, you're going to be disappointed. If you're simply hoping that the economy will continue to chug along in the right direction, you're, you're probably going to be disappointed at some point. If you're hoping that you're going to beat the diagnosis and the cancer won't return, I've got news for you. We all go of something at some point, okay? So we're going to be disappointed. But this is why we need biblical hope, because we need to put our hope in something more than just wishful thinking. Let me see if I can just kind of bring it all to summary for you, but bringing back, coming back to the football analogy, okay? Let's, let's pretend that you're uh, watching that game between the Packers and the Giants, okay? And, uh, and uh, sacrilege of all sacrilege on Christmas Eve, let's pretend like we're Giants fans, okay? We're all in New York, okay? And, uh, and, and you have watched the game from beginning to end, so you know how the game plays out. But the next day, you're getting together with a bunch of your New York buddies and friends who had the game DVR'd the day before, and they want to watch it with you. Are you going to be watching the game with a little bit different perspective and attitude? Like, when the, when the Packers are up at halftime, your friends are all fretting and going, Oh, oh my gosh, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy, but you're... Cool and collected, you know, as a, as a cucumber. When the Packers win the coin toss, your friends are freaking out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the Packers won the coin toss. They're going to win. But you're like, you're cool. Why is that? Because you know the end of the game. That's what having our hope in Christmas is like. We know the ultimate end of the outcome because his birth leads to his life, which leads to his death, which leads to his resurrection, which leads to his return. And the the fact of the matter is this, that if you, in essence, come to the manger on Christmas morning and you bow the knee to Jesus and you pledge allegiance to him, And you say, essentially in your heart, I believe that this is God's 
solution for me. That puts you on his team. And at the end of time, when the last drop of water is going over Niagara Falls, you're just getting started in your new life in Christ because you've placed your faith in him. And that is biblical hope. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because it's that point in time when God is in the process of fulfilling all those promises. So Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's pray. Father, let's pray for each and every one of us in this room. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would come alongside of us and whisper, It's true. It's true. I came into this world for you in a humble birth to live a beautiful life, to die a sacrificial death, and experience a glorious resurrection in which I will one day return in all of my glory and bring my kingdom. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.